everybody, and thank you so much for clicking on this video. My goodness, uh, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but it's good to be back. It's been a while, and I want to show you why it's been a while here in a second. Uh, but first, let me tell you about what today's show is going to be. Um, for the last three months, as I'm about to show you, uh, I have been busy reading, writing, and studying as part of my first doctoral class. And let me just tell you, it was took some getting to used to that uh, getting used to that new workload, new schedule, everything that comes with that kind of major change. And so I was overwhelmed, I was swamped and um, and so that's really why you didn't see much of me. But for all those who stuck around and those who are watching now, hopefully this studying and everything is going to pay off with some cool information and insights, additional learning to help make this show better. And so I want to share one of the things that I learned while reading one of my textbooks with you on how to have better conversations. As Christians, if we are going to be thinking well about cultural engagement and trying to engage people with different ideas, it's not about just learning the information about what we believe and what others believe. It's also not just learning conversation strategies, per se, of, of how to have those conversations, but there's also character involved. right? So it's who are we as people and the character involved in those conversations, as well as strategies in conversations that can allow us or help us better discuss controversial issues without it turning into a massive argument, a heated debate. And so that is the goal. If we are wanting to persuade people, not just prove them that they are wrong, but persuade them of maybe a better position of the truth, then we need to think well about how we're going to engage these things. And so that is going to be the topic today. To introduce the show myself, if you haven't seen this before or it's been a while, my name is Ryan Polly. This is Think Well, the show designed to help you think well about Christianity, apologetics, faith, worldview, and culture so that you can engage it well and you can engage the culture from a Christian worldview. So now to back up just a little bit on uh, kind of what has happened over my last few weeks. Now, hold on a second, because YouTube is saying an error has occurred. Let me make sure that this is actually streaming and that you can see things. Oh, a frustration of things connecting. All right. It looks like, all right, I'm up. Okay. So um, here is, here's my, here's my list. Let me, let me try to grab this. Okay. Here is my stack of books. Here's what has occupied my time over the last few months. Uh, this is right about, I think, 2,800 pages of reading. Um, and on these books, now let me try to get these down somewhat. Um, 2,800 or so pages of reading. That uh, was assigned on January 6 or January 9. I had till April 17 to read it all. And then I wrote about 45 pages of reviews, critiques, summaries of them. And so uh, my my doctorate that I'm working on is, is, is a doctor of ministry and engaging mind and culture. So the idea is how do we think about cultural engagement? How do we train Christians in theology and philosophy, apologetics and, the, and, and worldview to engage the culture well and the cultural ideas well? And so uh, I had five books that were kind of general readings on cultural engagement, having conversations. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. I had a whole section that I had to read multiple books and write a paper on uh, race and critical race theory. I had to read a whole section and books on um, uh, sexuality and gender identity and write a paper on that. And then the last thing was uh, the church and political engagement. And so that was the kind of the three specific areas, politics, sexuality, and race. You know, just some of the most controversial heated topics of today, as well as then some general readings on philosophy, cultural engagement, theology of cultural engagement, and conversation strategies and tactics and whatnot. So anyways, if any of those topics sound interesting to you, 
Uh, you can either, one, ask some questions now, and I'll address some of those questions throughout the show. Uh, there's also the link there if you want to uh, call in and discuss those uh, any of your questions on culture or faith with me, uh, as well as uh, for future shows. If you want to kind of go dig deeper into some of these topics, I will be getting into some of them. But hey, if something stands out to you you want to jump into, uh, we will go into that a little bit sooner. So it's been a crazy few months, but uh, that's that. Now, let me just tell you this. I want to give you a little sneak peek in a sense of on Monday, which today is April 28th, so Monday, which is May 1st, I am going to have a short video on Monday afternoon uh, announcing a huge, big change. And so there's uh, a little teaser uh, to get you maybe to come back and check that out. A big change happening with ThinkWell. And so that announcement will be made on Monday. So uh, come back for that. And I'm excited to tell you more about what's going on and, and what this big change is coming up in the future. So um, today, here's what I want to do. Uh, I was asked to give a lecture this coming Sunday night, which is, I guess, April 30th, um, on uh, uh, to a group of parents on how to have better conversations with their students. And so uh, I wanted to use some of the readings that I have and some of them apply some of the things that I've learned and some of the things that I've read through in kind of creating a new session, a new talk on, on, on to, to parents, trying to help them figure out and work through how to have difficult conversations on controversial topics with their students. And so what I want to do is I want to present that to you and I want to kind of let you be the initial sounding board. And I want to kind of work through these ideas first with you and kind of maybe try to ask for your feedback, whether now live or through uh, email or, or whatever that may be, uh, before I do this uh, with that group of parents on Friday. And so uh, I w well, what I'm going to kind of work through and lead up to is kind of how I started. Of, of trying to help the parents see what is the goal, that we are trying to train their students to be ambassadors for Christ. And ambassadors kind of have three different aspects. Ambassadors have to have knowledge. They have to know what they're an ambassador for, as well as what they're an ambassador going into. They have to have knowledge of their home country, as well as the country that they're going to and they're going to serve and work with. And so as Christian ambassadors, as ambassadors of Christ, as First uh, Corinthians or, oh no, Second uh, Corinthians 5.20 talks about, uh, that uh, we have to have knowledge of Christianity and Christian doctrine and Christian worldview and Christian theology. Um, and then we have to have knowledge of the culture and these ideas that we are coming up against. And so the knowledge component is huge. But again, as I mentioned at the beginning, the other two aspects of an ambassador is uh, the ability to have conversations. You're not military going in with force to conquer and overpower, but you're sitting down having conversations to show or persuade of a certain way of doing things. And so we are in kind of the business of persuading people and helping people see the truth and seeing the goodness of Christianity. The last character or last component is a character component that if if you are, are hypocritical, if you are a jerk, then people are not going to be listening to you. Uh, I was talking to my students today about just seeing a lot of false information online, people exaggerating facts or truths or manipulating information to present narratives that are not necessarily or completely true. And if we are caught doing that, then we quickly get written off as not being someone who is trustworthy. And so then we lose our credibility. And so there's a character component, a wisdom component, and a knowledge component. So kind of working and trying to help them see these components. Now, specifically, what I want to get into then is then how do we discuss these, these difficult topics? How do we discuss hard questions with our students? And I want to I want to suggest five kind of broad things to work on. So these are my five 
tips, I forget whatever I titled this video, the five tips on how to discuss controversial, difficult topics without arguing, without getting argumentative. So here is tip number one. Tip number one is that we need to distinguish our personal convictions, the things that we believe, from those that are moral absolutes and that which is just a simply a matter of taste. I think that there's kind of three categories that we have to realize about the things that we believe. There are things that I believe because I like it. Like a matter of taste simply is that coffee ice cream is delicious, right? And, and we all recognize it is ridiculous to sit here and argue back and forth about what the best flavor of ice cream is when it's just simply a matter of taste. There is no objective right and wrong when it comes to those issues. And so we should be able to agree to disagree. We should be able to support each other and what they want. And yeah, we joke about it as friends, but to seriously argue and fight about something that's simply a matter of taste is something that we should not be arguing about. Now, on the other side, we have moral absolutes. We have things that are, are absolute truth, that are objective truth, that it's, that's just the way it is. And for these, like we should stand on those truths. And so when it comes to something like murder being wrong, it's wrong to abuse innocent children for fun. If someone's going to come along and say, you know, Ryan, I think that's a pretty good thing. I think it's good to abuse children for fun. We should stand up and say something. We should not just sit back and go, oh, that's true for you, but not true for me. You know, you do you and, and go in peace. No, that is something that we're absolutely going to stop and go, hold on a second. We have to figure this out because this is a moral absolute and to get this wrong has some major implications and major differences. And so those are things that we do need to stand firmly on. And so there are some things that are disputable, but not everything is a, dispute, a disputable matter. Right, They're, These absolutes are related to sometimes conduct rather than belief and how people are living and how people are acting. Um, and so when it comes to a moral absolute, these are not matters of personal conviction. This is not like a, well, here's what I believe and here's what you believe and we're just convicted in two different ways. No. Someone is right and someone's wrong because this is a moral absolute. This is an objective truth. And so we recognize there are some things that we do need to draw a line on, that there needs to be a hard line in the sand. There needs to be a hard barrier saying, no, you can't cross this or else we're getting into dangerous territory. And bad ideas have consequences. And as John Stone Street says, and really bad ideas sometimes have victims. Um, and so we have to recognize that. Now, also within this then are just personal convictions, right? There are as we hopefully should see, there are theological beliefs, political beliefs, cultural ideas that are not moral absolutes, but also is not just simply a matter of taste, right? There are some things that we believe is true based on data, right? So I hold certain theological beliefs about the age of the earth or end times and those sort of issues that is not like you, 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 you have to have a certain belief. Like, for example, if we're talking theology, right? The resurrection of Jesus, the existence of God, that Jesus is God. Those things are, are true, and you, you can't waver on those. But then I would put cat things in the category, right? Secondary and tertiary doctrines, like the end times and the beginning and how old the universe is. Like You can be a solid Bible-believing Christian and, and disagree on those things. Um, and then there are things that are just simply a matter of taste. And that's where, you know, what kind of worship music do you like or something like that when you go to church? The, the, the issue here, or at least the, the important point here, is to reconcile or to realize that there's no need to reconcile disputable 
matters. Right? There's no need to reconcile these beliefs because they're not something that has to be reconciled. And so since you don't have to reconcile them, there's no need to fight about it. Right? We should be able to have fun conversations with friends, bouncing different theological ideas off, trying to come to figure out what truth is. I'm not saying there's no truth. It absolutely is true. The earth is either old or it's young. It's not both. One is right and one is wrong. But the question is, is this a determining factor of whether someone is a Christian? So I think one of the big issues that leads to a lot of fighting, quarreling, controversy, is when you make something that is disputable, that we should be able to disagree about, something that is not disputable, you can't disagree about it, and therefore we're trying to kind of force or persuade someone into be believing something that they shouldn't be forced to believe. We should be able to have some variation in some minor secondary, tertiary doctrines within the church, and this not cause controversy or fighting within the members of that church. And so we have to recognize matters of taste, disputable things that are convictions, and then also moral absolutes. It's not a matter of conviction. Now, if you are curious, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, a lot of these ideas uh, are going to be coming from this book, Winsome Conviction, by Tim Muehlhoff and Richard Langer. Rick Langer is uh, the professor who is over my doctoral track that I'm working through. Um, and when this book first came out over a year ago now, I did have uh, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff on the show to discuss some aspects of this book. And so uh, um, if you want to kind of go back and hear the author talk a little bit about it, you can find that show as well from just over a year ago. So this is number one that we have to recognize is being able to distinguish between personal convictions, moral absolutes, and matters of taste. Number two, and this is, I think, so important to check ourselves on, is that in order to be able to have better conversations, we have to adopt rules about how we talk about other groups. We have to adopt rules about how we talk about other groups. It is so easy that when we are inside of our group to speak about the outsiders in a way that is disparaging, dehumanizing, um, makes them seem lesser than or, or less smart, or they're a bunch of idiots, they're dumb, they're not as intelligent, whatever it may be. And if they only knew these things, then they would finally realize what is true. And the issue is, and as Winsome Conviction talks about, and I believe is accurate, says that how you talk about people privately shows how you're going to treat them publicly. Look, if we are just really negative and nasty and, and just think the worst about people in private and talk about them that way, then we're probably not going to be able to flip that switch easily when engaging in a public conversation and treat them as their ideas and respect their ideas, but try to show them where their ideas are wrong and try to point out those things and, and think critically with them. If you think that they just hold all these childish views, then you're going to almost treat them like a child when you engage with them, rather than treating them like an intellectual and trying to persuade them using good reasons and evidence. And maybe you've told this story before, but I, I once had someone approach me at a church speaking extremely negative about Christians who hold an old earth view and who believe that there is death before the fall. And they're like, can you believe some Christians think that our universe is billions of years old and there's death before the fall? And oh my goodness, they just completely throw out the Bible and they had like the worst things to say about old earth creationists. All the while thinking in my head, I am that person. I hold to the universe being old and I believe that there is animal death before the fall of humans and you have no idea. And I wonder how you would feel if I told this to you. 
Now they finished the thing and they walked off and I didn't actually tell them. <laughs> Maybe I should have, but I didn't actually point out, but like, hey, by the way, that person that you think is really dumb for believing those things, uh, yeah, that would be me. I believe those things. Um, but again, it's like when we feel like we're safe, and this is what I realize when it comes to other issues, like the ones I was studying, like gender, sexuality, gender identity, is that it's easy to talk about that group, the LGBTQ group, as just being all woke and crazy and oh my goodness, can they believe it? And I had people, as I, when I was saying that I was studying gender identity, I would have people tell me, oh, that's such an easy topic. Just look between your legs when you figure it out, right? And just kind of really flippant about their responses. And here's the thing is that you don't know who in your youth group, in your friend group, your friend, your your child's friends, or 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 wherever it is that you're talking, you don't know if someone is actually struggling struggling with those things. As you are talking, you, maybe there's a student sitting in the audience or overhearing you that is struggling with same sex attraction or is struggling with gender dysphoria, and then they hear you speak in a very flippant way about those topics. Do you think that they're going to come to you? as a person that they want to get advice from, that they want to talk to to work through this issue to get a biblical perspective of? I don't think so. So I think not only in the way that we speak about people in private affects maybe how we treat them publicly, but I think that how we speak about people not knowing who else is listening is also going to affect that. Now, again, I'm not saying don't speak truth. But is there a way in which we can speak it in a loving way that is not flippant to where when someone maybe overhears us, they go, wow, I'm curious to hear their perspective because it sure looks like they've thought through this. They've, they've, they've considered different perspectives, but they're also treating people with dignity and, and respectfully, even though they disagree, right? There's like true tolerance, right? Respecting the dignity and value of someone with whom you disagree. And so I think we have to be careful as Christians and we have to be conscious of this. Is, is how am I thinking about the people on the other side, politically, religiously, whatever it may be, Ideolo idea, ideologically? Um, and if we are dehumanizing them, if we are equating them with garbage and, and just idiots and this sort of thing, is that possibly going to affect not only the way that you think about them, but then even the way that you treat them? And so when we're discussing this, if your kids hear you speaking about people like that, what do you think your kid is going to do? When all of a sudden their friend at school approaches them and says, hey, I am gay or I am have gender dysphoria or whatever. I think I am a girl or in the really boy or whatever it may be. And now your kid wants to figure out what your view is on it, but they've all they've heard is these things. So I think it's so important for us to recognize um, and think through how we speak about people, right? It's like the same thing. It's like, why, well, you, know, uh, you know, if you're going to mock someone to their face, like don't mock them behind their back. Also, don't mock them to their face, right? And we sometimes uh, fall into this trap or fall into this thinking of, hey, it's, it's, I'm in my own group and it's easy to just kind of let those jokes fly. So think about how we talk about other people who are not in our group. There's the first two, right? So distinguishing personal convictions from moral absolutes and matters of taste and then adopting rules on how we talk about people from other groups. Number three is then inviting feedback, inviting feedback from others. I think this looks two ways. Number one, it's presenting your ideas and saying, hey, I, I want some pushback. I want you to, to kind of help me think through this and, and help me uh, maybe expose some ways in which maybe my logic is faulty or maybe where I'm not considering a certain perspective. Right? And as we get feedback from others who disagree with us, it's going to help us more firmly land on what our conviction is. And I think here's what's important and, and is that 
convictions. Strong beliefs are not what necessarily leads to conflict. It's not that you just believe something strongly. In fact, this book argues, Winsome Conviction argues, that the stronger, more solid your convictions are, the less argumentative that you're going to be because the less easily broken you are, right? The stronger you are and the, the more solid you are and the more you've heard uh, objections against your views and you've thought through those things to where when someone objects, you're not as upset. You're like, okay, let's talk about it. Right? So it's like, you know, if, if someone comes to me and is like, God doesn't exist, it, you know, Jesus is just a, a made-up fairy tale based on pagan mythologies that come before him, and, you know, all the different dying and rising gods. I'm not like, oh, how dare you speak negatively about Jesus, right? It's like, okay, let's, let's figure that out. I, I don't think it's true, and I have reasons. Do you want to talk about those? Do you want to consider those? And it's less likely to turn into an argument, because I've, I've heard those things before. And so, number one is, is inviting that feedback to not only to, to strengthen our case, but not only that... But it's this, when you hear other people disparaging you, when you hear a story, so-and-so said this, what do you do with that? Right? Do you go, oh, I can't believe it. They did that. And then you start going out, that, no, well, no, there, there, and then you respond. Or is it that you go directly to them to gain a better understanding? right? Uh, it's so often to see someone say something online or, or hear through the grapevine, a so-and-so believes this, and get that and allow that for us to get upset so that then it doesn't lead to a good conversation versus hearing something and going directly to that person. Because how many times, and I'm assuming those of you listening, have had this happen before? How many times have you heard that someone said something about you? You go to that person to check if it's true, and it actually turns out not even to be true. Or that the person who is sharing it with you misunderstood or misrepresented or took things out of context. That's not actually what was said, right? Now, the question is, do we do that all the time? Hopefully you do, right? Hopefully I'm just preaching to the crowd and you're like, yeah, I got it. I, I do these things. That's awesome. And hopefully it will lead to you having better conversations. But there's just so often that we see something online. And I think this is a, 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 a product of our social media world where we just interact in like Facebook comments or we just, someone posts something on Twitter and you just retweet it with another comment rather than actually going to them, messaging them like, hey, what did you mean by this? And trying to figure it out. We just jump to conclusions based on something that we see or something that is posted. And so the question is, are we actually going to people and saying, hey, I want your feedback. I want to hear from you. Tell me what you think about this. And also before you say something publicly about someone else, are you sure that what you're saying is actually true? Have you checked that with them? Have you actually gone to them and say, hey, help me understand, is this actually your view? Because if it is now, okay, now I can critique it. But I want to make sure I have the view right before I turn to those critiques. And so this is such a helpful thing of inviting feedback, allowing other people to correct you. Now this is, I was doing a Q&A uh, yesterday with a group of students. And one of the students' questions was how do I, how do we deal with pride? How do we get rid of pride? I think that's one of the answers. It's don't assume that your view is always right, that, that what you've said is absolutely true and there's no possible way that you could have misunderstood something. Have a little bit of what's called epistemological humility or epistemic humility that uh, and epistemology is how you know stuff. So have a little bit of humility that you might have misunderstood something that maybe you're wrong and just approach it from that humble aspect. It's like, hey, I could be wrong here, but this is what I think. Right. And obviously there's things that you're going to hold to much more firmly and there's things that are going to be you're going to hold on to much less firmly. 
But having that humility and allowing people to push back, I think will kind of help diminish a little bit that pride of thinking I'm always right. I know I have this right. There's no way I could be wrong because, hey, someone else just kind of pointed out where you're wrong. But again, I think the benefit, as I mentioned at the beginning, is that the more pushback you get, the more feedback that you get, then the more you can kind of hone that argument. You can tighten up the things that you can fill in the holes of where things didn't make sense. You can find analogies that click better. It allows you to make a more persuasive case as you grow and build in your engagement with these different ideas and culture. So that is number three, inviting feedback from others. Now, again, if you're listening here and you have questions, you can post them in live chat. You can click on that link and call in uh, and have a conversation with me, discuss something that you want to discuss um, or just leave feedback for future shows. But anyways, we're working through this idea of how to discuss hard questions with your teens and some tips and strategies in order to have better conversations on controversial topics. So number four is develop the character needed for controversy resolution. And this is what we talked about a little bit before. We've already kind of discussed this, but some characteristics or qualities, things like love. Do you genuinely love the other person? Do you genuinely love them or are you trying just to beat them in an argument and show them why they're wrong? Or do you care about them and you want them to figure out what's true because you love them and care about them as a valuable human being? And so are we motivated by love and are we motivated by what's best for them? And what may be best for them is for them to give up some bad view that they have and recognize what is true, but are you motivated by love? Now, again, I think this is what's hard in our culture is, you know, I teach a chapter in my high school class on on sexuality and marriage. And um, one of the sections on marriage talks about this idea that, you know, or an objection is that you only hold a traditional view of marriage, marriage between one man, one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. The only reason you would hold that view is if you're motivated by hate, that you hate gay people. And it's, you know, in the book kind of walks through with the students of like, well, is it possible that some people do hate gay people and therefore don't want them to get married? Sure, that could be true. But that's where if someone levels that objection against us, why do you hate gay people? Or you only hold this view because you hate gay people. We should stop for at least a second and reflect back on our motivation and say, am I motivated by love? love for them, trying to help them live in the way that God has created them to live and follow the ways in which God has created us to live, the ways in which God has designed us to be, it's because I want what's best for them? Or is it motivated by hate? And if we realize that there is some hatred in us, we need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness of that um, and make sure that it is motivated out of love. We also have gentleness, right? One of the most famous apologetic verses, 1 Peter 3.15, right? Uh, be, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but yet do so with gentleness and respect. Those are the character qualities three, two, and three, gentleness and respect, right? Are we aggressive? Or are we more gentle? And do we respect them? Or are we more disrespectful, right? This is... This can so easily destroy our credibility, especially if we're doing this publicly online, that if we are disrespectful and harsh with people, I think that reflects negatively on us. Right? And I, I see apologists online who I think are disrespectful and harsh, and it just makes me go, ah, oh, man. And, it, and it, it just, they lose, I think, I don't know if it's the right word, but lose some credibility or lose some, some weight to what they're saying in their character. And sometimes, again, like we have to present truth, but how do we do that in gentleness and respect? And I think the last character quality we have to think about, love, gentleness, respect, and patience. How do we have patience? How do we 
develop patience with people and working with them and trying to help them see and recognize what is true and what is good. And the question is, what if it takes a long time? What if it just keeps happening? What if they don't see it? If we truly are motivated by love and we believe kind of they're, 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 they're not just wasting our time, but they're working through this and they're desiring to learn and they're growing, how do we be patient with them and helping them see what is good? And true. So I think these are some of those character qualities uh, that is important. And so if we're going to discuss these hard questions with students, man, as parents, as leaders, as adults, we have to be patient. We have to be respectful, gentle, loving, and helping our students and walking alongside them in these difficulties. All right, I got uh, one more, actually. That was four. Okay, we're going quick. All right, so distinguishing personal convictions from moral absolutes and matters of taste. Number two, adopting rules on how to talk about other groups. Number three, inviting feedback from others. Number four, developing character needed for controversy resolution. And lastly, number five is some guidelines then for better conversations. Now, here are some practical tips and strategies to have better conversations. Uh, so number one is have some goals in mind. Have some goals or expectations in mind for better conversations. So number one, your first goal in having a difficult conversation about something controversial where you disagree with someone is to achieve disagreement. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is probably true. You guys have had this. Has there been a time in your life where you are fighting with someone and then you kind of stop and think like, do I even know what we're fighting about? Like, and maybe it seems like we're talking past each other. We, we, wait, what do we even disagree about? Right. And so one of the steps of having a good conversation, a productive conversation, rather than just simply fighting, is actually achieve disagreement. Figure out where you disagree. Where do you see this differently? And be very clear about that. Now, once you achieve disagreement, then you are looking to achieve mutual respect, right? If you are respecting each other, they respect you and you respect them. This is going to lead to a better conversation. So this is a goal you should have is to have mutual respect and achieving disagreement and then finding common ground, right? This is huge is finding some common ground. Now, I remember one time uh, when I was in Utah on a Maven immersive experience in Utah and we knock on a, a door of a, a student at BYU and we just instantly jumped into, hi, we're Christian missionaries and we're here and blah, blah, blah. Do you believe this? And all of a sudden we want to like start showing this student where they're wrong. After like 20 minutes, the student's like, finally like, okay, I got to go. I got to run. But can I give you some tips? <laughs> can I give you some advice? And the students that I was with said, yeah, sure. And the first thing he said is like, I would suggest uh, one of the first things you should probably do is like introduce yourself. Like tell, tell me your name, ask what my name is, and at least find some sort of common mutual respect of I want to tell you, I want to get to know you in a sense of at least get to know your name, maybe ask you how you're doing before you just kind of jump into, I want to try to show that you're wrong and where your views are incorrect. Um, and so we don't have to just sit there forever and just find all the ways we agree and never talk about disagreements. But is it possible that if we kind of tend to that common ground, if we kind of work through where it is that we agree, we can maybe find that there's a lot more agreement than maybe we thought in the past, um, that we can identify it, that we can work with it, that we can then use that to build other points. So it's like, hey, if we figure out, okay, you believe in objective morality. Now I can use that view and we can discuss that and, and presuppose that on further questions that we have, but then talking about these different moral actions and where does that objective morality come from? So finding that uh, agreement can help us 
um, not only to, to or help us to have better conversations about the things in which we disagree about. Um, and again, it shows that respect that I'm trying to figure out, hey, where do we line up? Where, where do we think similarly? Where do we think differently about this? And so one section of the book here, it talks about on this point, it says a common ground needs not only to be identified, but also to be cultivated and tended. We need to remind ourselves of the shared values and beliefs we have by intentionally calling them to mind. Um, and then we need to make an effort to maintain healthy relational contact with people on the other side. Um, and so you don't have to, you know, replace your group, uh, but you, the other side cannot just be completely crazy people in which there's no agreement whatsoever. Find that agreement and work with it. So here's kind of the, the expectation or here's the practical step is one, have these set goals. Now, number two in this last point, I guess these are sub points under the final point. So point five, sub point two um, is build fences with these absolutes. Now I love the example given in this book on this point. And here's what it talks about is that if you have fences up and those absolute truth and absolute morality is is building that fence and it's like a playground then you don't have to worry about people coming in and it is then safer to explore right with my child i have a 16 month old son and when we're at a playground um i'm very close to him Right, and it's like because you know, he might fall off something, he still loses his balance and all that kind of stuff, and he doesn't know how to be careful and everything. So I'm a lot more closer to him. Now, again, if we're just at like a public playground, I'm also going to be hovering a lot more too because you don't know what strangers. You don't turn your back, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're gone or he's fallen off some slide or whatever it may be. But if you are in an enclosed space, you know, like when we play on our back patio, that's enclosed space, then you can have a lot more freedom to just explore. And, uh, and there's safety there to explore. And so when we allow absolute truth and the objective truths to, to set our boundaries, right? So the boundary is God exists, Jesus is God, he died and rose from the dead, we are sinners, that sort of thing. We have these core foundational doctrines kind of building the fence around us. And then the absolute moral standard in which God wants us to live and how he has called us, to, called us to live like Jesus, and we have that creating that standard, then this gives us freedom to be able to explore some differences within that. Or not everyone has to play on the same thing, or not everyone has to kind of agree on these different issues. And so we are safe within these boundaries of these absolutes. And so that's, again, where we go back to first step, is being able to distinguish this, build a fence in that conversation, and then you have freedom to explore. And then you can say, so what about this? What about people that want to approach it this way? Right. So, you know, I, I maybe a, a more controversial part of this is when it comes to something like gender uh, identity, right? And 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 how do we deal with gender dysphoria and gender identity and transgenderism? I think personally, some objective absolutes is that gender is connected to biological sex, that God created male and female, and this is how he's created you to be, and these things are are inextricably tied together and they're not disconnected. Right. And so there, there's not a disconnect there. Right? And so that is, a, that is an absolute truth in which we start with. Now, within that, though, then there's questions about, my son is outside crying. <laughs> Time to wrap up soon, I guess. Um, there's questions, though, then of like, okay, so what if someone wants to be called by a different name? Right? Do we use a different name? And so the question is, is that a moral absolute that you can't use a different name? Or within that framework of an absolute of how God has created us, is there a little bit of flexibility and ways in which we can explore some possibilities of kind of working together? 
I know a lot of people, and I would hold this position, that I would kind of use a name that someone prefers. I don't think that name is is tied to gender. I don't think that names are are those ways in which, you know, if, if you introduce, if my name's Ryan, I say, hey, good to meet you. My name is John. Right? You're just going to kind of call me John. No one kind of calls you out on that. We People go by nicknames or whatever it may be. And names in many ways are, are gender neutral. And so you, I know a girl named Ryan and I'm a Ryan, right? So I wouldn't have as much of a problem with that. Right, but it's falling within this safe boundary of these moral absolutes. So I think this is what kind of can help us is building that fence of saying where is the boundary that we can't cross, and then allowing in our conversations with our kids to have some freedom to explore possibly different ideas than what we might hold, and letting our kids explore some different possibilities than what I believe within that framework of what is true. This leads us into the third part of the differences are features, not flaws. Right? We are all different. We all have different talents and abilities and giftings. And right, the, the whole body of Christ is not an ear or an eye or a tooth and all that kind of thing. It's, you know, where would the sense of smell be if everyone was just a mouth? And so we recognize there are differences that are benefits. Not everyone should have to believe exactly the same thing on every single thing in order for us to get along. Right? Differences are amazing as they help draw things out of the text when people have different life experiences that highlight different aspects, aspects of the text. Not change the meaning, but kind of highlight something that applies in a unique way that you maybe wouldn't have seen before because of a certain experience that you have. You see something different. So when we come together, realizing that we are different, maybe have different views, this can allow us to really work together and come together and figure these things out. And so with that, then the last thing is we see these differences is then be curious about the differences. Try to understand when someone disagrees, rather than trying just to prove them wrong, try to understand them, try to figure them out, right? And this is where we talk about a lot on the show is this question of, you know, what do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? Have you considered this? And as you ask these questions, you're showing respect to them. You're showing um, why you, you care. You're listening. Hopefully you're not just asking questions and then eventually prove them wrong, but you're listening and you're trying to understand. And I think that with this then, I had an experience, and maybe I'll tell you more about it another day. And again, if you have questions, I'm about to wrap up here. So if you have questions, send them in um, or, or call in. I have, you know, I guess 20 minutes left till the end of the hour, but um, I'm almost done. Um, I, I, I got done reading uh, one of my textbooks on uh, a theology of sexuality. And I decided to present it to my students, and I laid out a strong kind of biblical case for a theology of sexuality, um, not being timid. In fact, uh, I was convicted by one of the chapters where it, a pastor talked about how he'd always kind of be a little bit defensive when he would talk about homosexuality and things and be defensive. And, and instead he realized I, I shouldn't have to be apologetic for what God says is true. I should be able to present this. And so he started having this more confident way in which he approached it. And so I went into my high school class much more confidently approaching these things. And I laid out a confident, clear theology of sexuality. And then I invited questions from my students. And I remember one of the students saying something to the effect of, man, if more Christians would approach it like this, I think it would bring the two sides together, not separate. And what's fascinating by the comment is it's not, I would bring, this would bring the two sides together because it was not actually taking a side. It was just saying, hey, everyone's okay. Everyone's right. Let's all meet in the middle and all get along. It was very firmly one-sided view in the sense of here's what the Bible says. You know, sex between one man, one woman inside the context of marriage. Here's how it reflects the Trinity and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but it was, again, the way I tried to present it confidently, 
but with a little bit of humility, with some gentleness, laying it out and trying to address the different concerns that might come up. And so I think these are strategies that we don't often see in our culture. We see people be very reactionary versus listening, right? James talks about slow to speak, quick to listen, right? How do we listen more? And these are biblical truths that as I probably walk through this, all of you listening go, yeah, I know. I've heard that. I know that. And the question is, look, I was challenged as I was reading this to think through how do I not do this in my conversations? How do I not follow these things? And how do I need to be conscious or how I need to be conscious of, of thinking through and working through making sure I'm doing these as well? And so I believe I think if we better reflect these five points, distinguishing what is personal conviction from moral absolute matters of taste, that we learn how to, uh, we adopt rules on talking about people well behind their back and to them, speaking highly of people as valuable human beings creating the image of God, that we invite feedback from them where they think that we're missing it or not seeing it, where we can improve and get better, that we focus on our character of love and gentleness, patience and and respect. And then we set these goals and guidelines of, of, of practical tips on how to maneuver and build fences and freedom to explore and recognizing these differences and listening well and asking questions well. I honestly believe that this will go a massive way in having better conversations that then lead to more fruitful results from these conversations as we are ambassadors of Christ going out trying to show people about the beauty, love, and goodness of our God. And so not only is he true, but he is good and he is beautiful. So um, there that is. (laughs) I'm going to be working through this again on Sunday night with a group of parents. So I want your feedback. Please tell me, hey, what what kind of connected, what didn't, uh, what worked well, what didn't go well. Um, If there's things that you would add or take away, I'd love to hear from you. You can always send me an email at ryan at think-well.org. Social media is, um, let's see, what's my social media? At ryanpauly3. But always uh, connect on the website. looking over at the live chat. I don't see any questions that have come in. So uh, with that, big announcement Monday. Come back Monday for that big announcement. Stay tuned. And as always, check out all the other videos that are up here over on the side, trying to always create content to help you think well and engage the culture well, engaging the culture with a biblical worldview. So um, with that, thank you for being here. Share, like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff and continue to think well about these things. And um, I want to keep trying to provide some content to help you do that. So the more you engage, the more you send in your stuff, the more tailored it is going to be to you and the issues that you are dealing with. So with that, see you next time. Thank you for being here and continue to think deeply about God, Jesus, Christianity, because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. See you next time on Monday. Won't hesitate to follow